I want to start by talking to you about what a crazy train is. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to use this. I, I try to do this this morning. The example in the office. Um, because I, I hope you understand that a crazy train is not something that you can avoid. A crazy train is life and that's going to occur. Um, and so you're not talking about avoidance of that. If you balanced your life correctly, you wouldn't be on the crazy train. That's not true. If you're living in this world that you can't control, things are going to come at you. And that's just all there is to it. You don't live life without a crazy train. The fact that the, the question though is, what is your response when the crazy train starts coming into the station? Do you have a hook hanging outside of you that causes you to hitch to that train and go up with it and down with it and up with it and down with it? So, for example, um, I always use personal examples. I'm sorry if you're not in that stage of life. This is where I am, and so we get to talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> But you can fill your own in the blank, right? Um, all right, so here comes my crazy train. My daughter, as we speak, my, my baby, um, I became an empty nester on Monday. Uh, my husband flew out on Monday also, won't be back till Friday because that's what he does on weeks like this. So my daughter just went to college and just started Rush, okay? So do you hear the crazy train is beginning to come in? as we speak all right so here it comes and she says i'm gonna find out at seven o'clock this morning what parties i've been invited back to first cut what parties i've been invited back to so i'll i'll let you know okay seven o'clock nothing Seven thirty. i finally text her hey have you heard anything no i haven't please don't text me Okay, <laughs> almost 8 o'clock. I'm on my way to the office. I'm starting sessions at 8.30. Have you heard anything? Silence. Now, here comes the crazy train. Okay, and the crazy train is something along the lines of this. It's, it's anything of, okay, potential rejection. Oh, my word, first week at college. Oh, my word, what are we going to do? This is awful. I'm scared. Here it comes. Is that reality? Yes, that is reality. Everything that I'm talking about right there is potential reality. Absolutely. So, what is going to cause me to go up and down and sideways and crazy? If I believe, if I have the underlying belief that she has to be in some sorority, and not get rejected or else that will absolutely kill her. And I think she might be messing this up a bit and so she needs my help. Okay? If I have that belief, I have a hook outside of me. And when that crazy train comes in and it's now 8.15 and no one has called, well, okay, I, I'll admit it. I was a bit, uh, I was surfing on the internet anyway. It just happened to go onto the Troy Panhellenic website. I don't know how that happened. And I noticed there that there's a phone number for the head of Panhellenic. She's, this is her job. And it's 815. Why would that be a problem? She won't know who I am. 
she'll just assume I'm one of those mothers, which of course I'm not, but she wouldn't know anyway, and I could just call her because I'm pretty certain that my daughter has messed this up somehow because, again, this goes back to I am the one that is pretty much responsible for getting everybody into the picture, okay? So I said, I mean, I had the, it was up on my phone, and I said, you may not send, that you may not press call. You may not do it. And I began to talk myself back off the ledge and pull in that hook and said to myself, here is what is provable. God is in this moment. He is with her. He is orchestrating this. This is not mine. And it went in. Now, do I feel better? No. Okay? I'm not talking about making you happy. I'm talking about making you sane. Here's insane. If I have the belief she has to be in a sorority and be happy, picture. Is my picture good? Yes, my picture is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with my picture. And any mom has a very similar picture, and there's nothing wrong with that. Here's when it gets crazy. When I believe that I have to have the picture and she has to have the picture and I'm the one that has to get the picture. When I believe that, I just hooked and now I'm going to go off and I'm going to do start doing lunatic, one of those mother kind of things. You know them. Those women that call the Panhellenic people and say, my baby didn't get a phone call yet. Did you? I wasn't going to say it like that. I was going to say it in a much nicer way. But And also, my daughter, who is waiting for somebody to text her, I'm going to text her for the third time within an hour, and I'm going to keep on her. Well, honey, did you misread it? Well, wait, check it again. No, no, no. Okay, I think you need to call somebody else. And I start pecking on her. And pushing, 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 and I'm feeling that intensity in my stomach, and it's coming out of my actions. So how's that working? It's going, my thinking creates my feelings, my feelings create my actions, and my actions become crazy. When I properly align my thinking back to what is provable, not to what is happy, I did not say, everything's okay, she just misunderstood. That's happy thinking. And that's not provable either. So if I merely say, I don't know what's going on, but God is in this moment. He is not caught unaware, though I am feeling terribly out of control because I am. But this is not mine to pick up. I don't have a role in this. My role finished when I spent like $8,000 on clothes for Rush. Okay? <laughs> done. I'm done. And so when I remind myself that, play the different tape, the hook goes in, and I'm stable on the platform. Now, when a train goes by you at 110 miles an hour, it is scary, but you can be safe and sane. There's a difference between standing on the platform, isn't there, and being impacted by something. Yes, it hurts. It's frightening. That's okay. Of course it is. You're not a zombie. You want the picture. Of course you do. There's nothing wrong with that. The crazy comes when you have determined you have to have the picture and you are going to corral that train 
through your control means to get this stuff into the picture. So do you understand what a crazy train is? And what it means when you are on the crazy train. When you feel this, this kind of intensity where you want to email and you want to text and you want to talk about it, and you want to say it for the 12th time because maybe they didn't understand the other 11th, and maybe, just maybe, if you could say it one more time. Those are symptoms, symptoms of being on the crazy train. Um, the best word I could use is, is when you become intense, very intense. If it keeps going, you become a lunatic. <laughs> and I know this because I am one. And that's why I wrote that study. And moment by moment, I have to do what it is that I'm teaching all the time. And so that was this morning. Okay? Now, all throughout that day, the, the day, as I'm in, I'm in sessions, between each session, <laughs> I'm picking it, it up again. And here it comes, going back in. And again, I have to say to myself, He's in it. He's in this moment. He knows what's going on. I don't have to control this. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Okay? The thing I want you to pay attention to is when you begin feeling, I think I'm on the crazy train. First question I want you to ask yourself is this. What am I thinking right now? Another way of asking that is, what's the hook? What's the hook? Because the hook is always comprised of wrong thinking somehow. Unprovable thinking. Did I talk about that? Unprovable thinking. I gave you four questions. Isn't that really sad? I don't remember if I talked about it there or not. I talk about it all the time. The four questions, if you don't know that, you should probably go back over that because that's the fastest way to keep yourself off that crazy train. What are the four questions? Number one, right before... I started feeling this way, whatever negative emotion it is, what was I thinking? I want two sentences on this. I don't want a paragraph, I just want two sentences. And usually it's something like, if this thing doesn't happen, all hell is going to break loose, and I'm the one that's got to make it happen. Usually it's some rendition thereof. What you're going to find, fascinatingly, is you only have about 10 to 20 tapes it's, uh, and you have a set of tapes that you play for each person in your life. About two of them. Um, that, like I have my, my kid tape. And that's my kid tape. Kid has to have this. Kid has to do this. And it's up to me to make certain that the kid has or does this. Okay? That's my kid tape. Doesn't matter which kid it is. It's always the same tape. So it helps you to learn the tapes that you most frequently use. Start writing it down because you're going to start recognizing, oh, there's 42 again. Oh, that's the one I always pop in the first week of school. <laughs> because very, is it, you know, you'll, it seems like a lot of work, but I promise you, I promise you, if you will get this thing down, you'll find it's really quite simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And you're going to start recognizing the insanity that you're working off of. Because the way that, that Satan 
gets a heyday with evangelical believers who have real faith in Jesus is because he gets us to think that what we think is what we really believe, when in fact, what we often think is not at all what we really, in our core, believe. We often think and say total trash to ourselves. But because we know better, we won't admit that that's what we think. And so we keep doing it. So that's why it's essential. I'm not going to ask you, so what do you think? What do you think about her, whether or not she gets a bit or not? If you ask me that question, I'm going to tell you the godly answer. Don't ask me that question. If I'm crazy, say, and right before you started getting on the website, what were you thinking? That woman, not you, because I know you know all this stuff. But that woman right there, that woman, what was she thinking right before she got on the website? Okay, so that's number one. What was I thinking right before I started having these very negative emotions? Number two, is that provable? About 99% of them you can knock out by one of two things. Um, A, future thinking. Um, I can future forecast. I know what's going to happen in the future. It's, it's all going to, the wheels are going to come off the bus. I know it. I know it. How do I know it? Well, usually the way that I know it is because I'm, I'm watching the past and through the past I can predict the future. Okay. The only thing about that is you're not allowed to do that because that's not 100% provable and it won't hold up in court. And that is why O.J. Simpson is a free man. Because what they said was, they said he was an abuser, therefore he did it. Right? And that is not an adequate... Um, not a defense. What's the opposite of that? You can't. That that, that didn't that didn't hold up the case, and he walked. Because there are times when something may even be true, turn out to be true, but it's not in that moment provable. You have to stay in the moment with what is provable. In the moment, I do not know that she won't get a bid. In the moment. I do not know that she will not be able to survive if she doesn't get one. I do not know that. You have to stay in the moment to stay sane. Okay, and then this B is what I call the third eye. It's right up here underneath my bangs. It's what you get when you become a mother or when you have a master's in counseling. And that is that you can look at people and you can discern their hearts and their minds. You know exactly what people are thinking and exactly what motivates them. Third eye. She hates me. I know she hates me. That's an example of third eye. Okay? About 90%, seriously, 90% of your bad thinking, unprovable thinking, comes in those two categories. Anyway, that's just what I find. There's whole books on that. and there, David Burns, The New Mood Therapy, which is basically a classic. That's a, this, this just a great fat book that'll look great on your bookshelf. Um, skim it. Um, but it's a great book. Okay. So third question. Whenever I think that thought, how do I feel? Where do I head? I.e. down at 90 miles an hour. I head into the vortex right then. Okay. Fourth question. When I go that direction emotionally, what am I more likely to do? Is it in line with who I want to be or not? 
So those are the four questions. Understanding those four questions is the key to being able to discern what your hook is. If you can learn to think correctly, you pull those hooks back in. But again, I do want to emphasize that does not mean that it is, isn't really scary on that platform. I deal with a lot of really, really, really scary situations all day long. And I say to my clients, okay, the crazy train's coming. Get in your stance. You know, when something's about to hit you, you kind of brace yourself and get ready. That's what you need to be doing. The more you have learned the skill of the four questions and thinking rightly, the faster you're able to get in the stance because sometimes the crazy train slams into the station and you had no idea that it was coming. Husband comes home. They downsized. I'm done. Bang. You're there. Okay. So I just wanted to give kind of an overall, if you didn't get anything from the class, get this. That's it. I think we can go now. <laughs> okay. Do you have any questions off of what I just said? I'm going to go into your other questions, but do you have any questions off of what I just said? <laughs> Everybody always says that. Yes. Uh, so she, of course, she made a mistake. She read it wrong. I knew that. I knew that was going to happen. And they said, we'll call you by 7 if you got no invitations. And um, so she didn't get a call, which was why she was very upset when I kept texting. Oh, no, they said, we'll text you. This is Rush in 2015. We'll text you. Can you believe that? Sorry. No one wants you. I'm at just, whoo, Anyway. So, any other questions? A lot of times I'll give a really... Well, I was going to say a really foolish example, but can I just tell you that's not a foolish example to me. That's my life, and that really matters to me. So does, I mean, most of you know that my, my son had cancer. That's really, that was really important to me, too. But usually people are like, oh, those are the godly examples. Yes, we understand. But most crazy trains are the kind of stuff I just talked about. And that is okay. That is okay. Your pictures, the things that you long for, that is not wrong. Just because it's not maybe even attainable or whatever, that does not make it wrong. And the Father does not frown on that. And faith isn't saying, I don't, I'm completely content whatever happens. Let me just tell you, I am not. Okay? Faith is, and somehow Jesus is going to meet me in that moment and give me what I need to give to her. But I'm scared. But I'm moving on ahead anyway. That is the evidence of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. If you continue to learn how not to hitch the trains, you will become less frightened. Because you will learn, oh my gosh, crazy trains are not optional. Lunacy is. I am free. So, faster you learn it, better. Because you know what? I think the train, I really do, I think trains come more the older you get. This is what I think. 
Okay. You know, I loved what you said about visualizing Jesus on while you're in that circumstance. I think that was very helpful for me. I don't know if it was the last one or the one before, where you said when you're in that circumstance, just visualize him because he's there with you. He's there with you. And I thought that was such a great mm-hmm. way of visualizing that. Mm-hmm. Are you allowed to visualize in the Episcopal? What are we? Episcopal. Okay, we are Episcopal, right? <laughs> you got to watch that. You know, I'm going to the Methodist church next week. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but if I if I believe that it is a scripture, if I believe that it is addressed in Scripture, then I feel perfectly fine about that, and that's kind of where that comes from because I am I am a very visual person, um, and it, it is the same. I think I talk about it too when you made your biggest mistake. I will often do this with clients when they made their biggest mistake, when they married the wrong man, when they uh, said that horrible thing and that irretrievable, those irretrievable words. Where was Jesus in that moment? Where was he? What's he doing? What's on his face? What's his look? He was there and his look is not disgust. His look is not powerless. He's solid because he already knew exactly what was going to happen. And you are not rewriting anyone's story. Which is not the same to say that you do not have responsibility for your actions, which rolls us into the next question. Because I know that's what you wanted to ask. Because everybody asks me that. Okay. The difference between role and responsibility. Role. Something that I have a part in of an overall picture, but I don't have control of. I have a role in whether or not uh, my, I was going to say coworker, but I guess that would be Jen. So, okay, but you have a role in whether or not your coworker becomes a believer. You have a role in that. You have a part to play in that. You do not have responsibility for whether or not that coworker becomes a believer. Because that's the father's responsibility. You have a role in your son's academic success. You do not have responsibility for your son's academic success. Why? Because he can prevent it. No matter how well you play your role, he can block it. So that's how you discern the difference between role and responsibility is largely in how much control you have. If you don't have 100% control, then you have a role in it. But the responsibility lies elsewhere. How do you, I guess, discern, like, I mean, because like your example of, like, your child's um, academic success, like how do you determine how much you invest in that role? Or you know what I mean? How much you dedicate to that mm-hmm. person? You know? I mean, I know it's probably more mental than actually what your actions are. but Really what you're asking is, and this is a great question, what is my role in this situation, Jesus? Mm-hmm. What is it? And what are we doing right there? We are turning to him in the yoke And we are saying, how do I do this? And we are receiving instruction 
quite literally, moment by moment. Am I supposed to call a tutor? If that's what you would have, would you open the door? Show me. Show me. I'm going to move ahead. Open a door. Or you can pray the other way, which is I'm going to wait. If something comes, then I'll know. But either way, it's it to me is a constant thing of asking what is my job here? What is my job here? What would you have? Because even when I say to him, what is my role? I'm reminding myself that I don't have ultimate responsibility and that gets me off my kid. And it keeps me sane. I can generally tell when I've stepped over my boundaries uh, when I begin to get intense in my voice is the first place that it comes. Um, in my level of activity and in my frantic feelings. If I start feeling frantic, that's like an idiot light going on on the dashboard. There's nothing wrong with the fact that I'm feeling frantic. There's nothing wrong with that. Idiot lights are not your enemies. You know what an idiot light is, by the way? I guess you have to be a certain age. Because it used to be that cars did not speak to you. Back in the day, if a light came on and said, you know, there's something wrong, check the engine or whatever. I want you to consider your feelings to be like warning lights. You don't believe them all the time. Just because it says check engine, that doesn't mean I go to the shop and say, put a new engine in. It means, oh, there might be a problem there. I better check it out. Feelings function that way. A lot of times people will say, oh, and so I was really mad that was bad, wasn't it? That's like saying it should have been a red light instead of a green light. Or, you know, I, I wish the light was brighter. But the most important thing is you need feelings because feelings are indicators. They're not gospel. They're not to be trusted, but they need to be followed to get to the root of it. If I'm frantic, what's going on? I'm glad I'm feeling that way because it lets me know something's going on inside of me that needs to be addressed. If I stuff my feelings all the time by telling myself it's wrong, bad, stupid, whatever, to be angry, to be jealous, to be frantic, if I tell myself that's wrong, then that's the equivalent of what I do after the warranty expired. I can't afford to get the car fixed, so I just don't pay any attention to the warning lights. Right? That's emotional suppression. If I can't take care of it, I won't feel it. And that's very dangerous, isn't it? When football players take too many steroids and go out on the field and play with broken bones, they set themselves up for huge injury. And that's what happens when you evaluate your feelings and whether or not they're right, wrong, or invalid. Just simply follow the thread. What's this? Where's this coming from? Another way to ask this is, right before I started feeling that, what was I thinking? Did that answer your question? Another question? Julie, it seems like it's almost always some sort of fear that's at the root of this. Would you say that's true? I would say that the root of, uh, well, I, yeah, I think that fear is huge. Threat is huge. Yes, yes. But underneath that is a core belief 
that I am alone and I do not have the righteousness of Christ. I have to earn my own. Or I am not a daughter. I have to take care of myself. At the root of all fear, at the root of all sin, is the core sin of unbelief. What are the two tenets of the gospel? That's the other thing. If you don't get anything else out of the class, what are the two tenets of the gospel? Number one, I have the righteousness of Christ. I do not have to earn it anymore. Imagine if that was the rule in your home. What would happen to the level of arguments that you have with people? If you did not have to prove your righteousness, what would happen? Number two, I'm a well-provided-for daughter. He is going to give me everything I need for whatever it is that he allows in my life. You know why I scream? You know why I manipulate? You know why I control? Because I don't believe that. Oh, no, by the way, golly sakes, what if she gets cut from everything? What does that say about me? There's my righteousness. Any other questions? How do you pray for your children and loved ones without sliding into praying the pictures? Okay, so first let's define what does it mean to slide into praying the picture. Jesus, get her a bid, get her a bid, get her a bid, get her a bid, get her a bid. (laughs) Now, I do pray that. Because the best I can see The best I can see. That would be good. So I ask. But there's a tenor to my asking. It's more like, please. But Father, what is it that you're doing? Now I'm stepping back. I'm stepping away from my picture. What are you doing with her? What are you doing even this moment as she's waiting for that phone call? Father, more than anything, would she know the love of you? Would she know your love? Let her know your love and your presence in this really scary time in her life. That is of eternal value. Eternal value. That's when silly small things like a bid have more eternal significance. If through that she could see the love of God, And not define the love of God through circumstances. Wouldn't that be incredible? Because you see, to be perfectly honest, with children, with younger people, oh, because I don't have this problem at all, but generally this really is true. Children tend to learn God through their circumstances and they decide whether or not God loves them through their circumstances. And so I've spent a lot of time talking to God and explaining to him. You understand here, if you want her to like you, (laughs) I I do. I talk to him about it all all the time. Father, how is she going to know that you're good? Please protect her heart. So I'm in this major dialogue with him because I don't, I completely don't understand how he would work that one out. So do you understand what I'm doing? When I'm praying 
in this specific situation, I'm going in and I'm praying for my picture. But then I'm going back out and I'm praying in the whole scheme of things, in the story of her life. The story of our life is about the glory of God. That's the story of our life. Father, she's, she needs to know your love. That would be amazing if she didn't get a bit, but she could still say you were good. And then I said, but I don't think I could. So I'm, oh, here I am. I'm driving down 280, praying this way. Let me just say, I'm driving down 280 to go to an office where people pay me <laughs> to talk to them about stuff. And I myself am, am having a complete attack of lunacy. But this is life. This is life. And as I'm driving down 280, I'm saying, Jesus, I can't give it to her if you don't give it to me. Oh, FYI, I don't know what I'm going to say to the people that are coming into the office today. <laughs> Now, does that make me a hypocrite? Does that make me a hypocrite? No. I was so thankful I had to go to work today. I was so thankful. Because all day long, all I do is make the connection between the gospel and life. The gospel and life. That's all I do all day long. I do it in different ways. Ways that you might not be able to classically recognize it. But that's all I do. And I'm so thankful I was there because I needed to hear the gospel today. Coming out of my mouth. And Jesus knows I'm a struggler. A hypocrite is one who says, I'm living it. Yeah, I'm living it. And some of you think, I can't talk about this to anybody because I don't live it. I don't know what's going on there. But there's no perfection by any stretch with me. But I'm pursuing it. And I am acknowledging the huge disconnect. <laughs> between what I'm saying and where I am and I'm saying oh Jesus cover it because I can't but I do know the truth and so when I speak I do think people can tell a difference between somebody that's in the same boat with them which is no place that everybody ever wants to be which is so humorous to me everybody wants to be these competent women and nobody ever wants to have coffee with competent women But they flock to seminars and they take notes. But is that really who you want to be? Or do you want to point people to Jesus? Because if you want to point people to Jesus, mm, competent women don't do that. Weak women do that. Struggling women do that. But women who are passionate and firm to hold on. And I'm praying to my friends. Pray for her and pray for me. Because I do not know at this moment right now, and it's okay because I don't have to know because it hasn't happened yet. But I do not know how I will handle it if the worst case scenario happens. Because I'm going to be mad at him. Do you understand? But so he and I have to battle it out and We've been doing that a lot today. <laughs> But you know what the truth is? That's why people listen to me. It really is. Because I'm a lunatic. 
and, and you don't admire me. But that's not the point. The point is that you would see Jesus and that you would understand the gospel. And I must not get in the way of that. And you must not get in the way of that. Isn't that fabulous? It's exactly the opposite of what you thought it was. It's the incompetent. It is the broken. It is the struggling. It is the not quite so sure that reflect the glory of God. That's what I mean somebody else asked about an incompetent, incompetent and unashamed. Let me define when I say incompetent. Competent would be one who is strong, secure, without need and on it. I will never be this side of heaven. Competent, strong, secure and on it. I will always personally, Julie, be incompetent in need of the completion of Christ. Always this side of heaven. And that's what I mean when I say incompetent and unashamed. So many of you are so ashamed of your incompetence. Which is, in fact, what draws people to Jesus. Is broken, humble people who have found rest in Christ. That is what draws people to Jesus. Not the strong ones that have all the answers. And the older I've gotten, the less answers I have. And I believe that that's the way that age is supposed to do us. It makes us more and more and more weak and needy, but more and more comfortable with being weak and needy. Any other questions? I think this is so funny. I kind of wonder... Did I not express myself very well? Did you not get to know me at all during this time? Because it says, any suggestions to help with focus during prayer time? (laughs) How many times did I refer to Ritalin, Adderall? How many times? Diet pills, you name it. I have it (laughs) and have had it. I don't remember what I was on when I was teaching that. But let's just say that focus is a little bit of a problem of mine. Um, therefore, it's pretty integral to me that I have to write. Because, again, if I don't, I'm doing a grocery list. Um, or doing my schedule in my head. And it's just who I am. See, the, the key is, is it doesn't really matter who you are. It really doesn't. You were just wired that way. But the foolishness is not to own who you are, have major problems with distraction, and figure it out. Rather than sit around and whine, I must not be a very spiritual woman because I can't pray for longer than two and a half minutes without starting to think about something stupid. Because that's the reality of who I am. I know I maybe shouldn't be, but that's who I am. When you 
are busy thinking about what should be and ruminating over what should be and who you should be, you know what you're not doing? You're not dealing with what is. And that is a cop-out. I have focus problems. So I need to learn how to compensate for that. And I ask Jesus all the time. To, okay. <laughs> we know that of all people, I am not the one that should be doing this job. So what's that going to look like? Show me. Bring somebody in. Um, had Jen and I had any clue what it meant to open up your own practice, we would have never in a million years done it. Um, especially she wouldn't have done it with me. I just thought, I've been in practice for 13 years. I just thought, what? So you hang out a sign, you take checks, you put them in the bank. How hard can that be? Uh, oh, my word. Um, all I can say is, is I can freely admit that. And because I can freely admit that, I can give myself to, number one, you need to learn some computer skills, Julie, because you're really, really, really a deficit. And number two, you better pray for some people to come alongside of you because I'm going to own my weakness. I'm going to own it. If I can own it, then I can learn what to do with it. It's not just, well, this is the way that I am. No. If the way that I am is the way that I was wired, then that's okay, but i got to figure out how to work with the way that I was wired. So when I pray, I write, if I can. I also pray as I'm driving down 280. I call those arrow prayers. I think that that's fine, but that is not the way you're going to develop intimacy with Christ. Because I have to be able to hear. I have to slow down and hear. And so I talked to you about that. I talked to you about uh, writing a question at the top of a legal pad. I, I do it all the time and I say it all the time. That's probably the number one assignment that I give to clients. I call it, you need to have a come to Jesus. So that's part of how I focus. No, actually, that's the only way I focus. Any jump off questions off that? Okay, how do we not allow our work of knowing him, hearing him, and coming to him become a burden or legalistic? Here's the difference. I don't work at my relationship with Jesus in order to gain his favor. I do work at my relationship with Jesus because I have his favor. And I can't believe the deal that I got. Did I tell you the story about the cop that stopped me? This is funny, like I've never laid eyes on you. I'm talking like you were old friends, but <laughs> I'm late to a wedding. There's a surprise, but you know, there's two things you're never late to. You're never late to a wedding. You're never late to a funeral. That is inappropriate. I'm late to the wedding. The le wedding's in, I don't know, Lake Martin, something like that. But anyway, I had to go through Harpersville. So you know what Harpersville is, a speed trap. Well, it was a really tight time financially. And I'm just here to tell you that I was watching that speedometer like a hawk the entire time down to Lake Martin, even though 
I knew that I was probably going to be late. I was not going to speed because I was so afraid of getting a ticket. On the way back, I'm chatting. I never even saw the light, I don't think. But uh, I did see it at some point going underneath it, and it was red. And it was not like just turn red. It was red. And I, it was like, I have no idea how that happened. And as soon, I mean immediately, like he was sitting there, blue lights flashing in my rearview mirror. I pull over. I was so mad because the truth is I speed all the time. But I hadn't been speeding. I'd been such a good girl. And somehow, somehow, I blew it. And there he was. Oh, I just couldn't believe it. Of all times. So I roll down my window. And he says, gotcha. And I said, yes, you did. And I handed my registration and my license. I've got my, my arm hanging out the window. He didn't take it. He patted my arm and he said, don't let it happen again. And he walked off. I was so full of gratitude, I almost burst into tears. I couldn't believe. I had tried to be a good girl so hard, but I blew it anyway. And I was really mad because I'd been such a good girl and I blew it anyway. But I didn't get the punishment. How do you think I drove home? I watched that speedometer like a hawk the whole way I drove home. You know why? Because in some weird way, I was so thankful to that cop that even though he wasn't there, this is going to sound so corny, I wanted to make him proud of me. <laughs> I wanted to make him glad. That is why I exercise the disciplines of the faith. Not because I'm trying to avoid getting a ticket, but because I got let off. And I can't believe I got let off. And because I got let off, I'm so thankful that all I want to do is obey. Well, that was like such a lie. That <laughs> in that moment, okay. So I believe the difference between legalism and the work of the faith which is real the difference is the why I work because I have his approval and I want to know him more and there's only one way I can do it and that's just the way that it goes I can't do it in five minutes a day in a devotional that somebody else wrote I'm sorry not to step on any toes but I don't mind if I do because too many of us are reading Five Minutes with Jesus or somebody else's letters from Jesus, something that Jesus told them, and we're reading it for us. I don't know how, how is that any different than reading someone else's mail. I don't want to know what Jesus told her. I want Jesus to tell me. But if Jesus told her, I don't mind reading it because you know what? It's so much easier. It's so much easier to read what Jesus told her. I won't mention her name, but I would venture that every single one of you have one of her books, and I do. And you know why? Because I don't want to do the work myself. I just don't. I'm happy to get it from her. It sounded great. 
but that's not really what I was made for. But to do it myself, oh, it's, it's hard. To practice listening prayer, oh man, now let me just tell you, that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of time. I mean, we're talking, I'm going to sound so bad, five minutes. Yeah. But like one thing I've got to talk to God about now, after today, is I need, I saw exposed in me today is, I believe in his love based upon how much he has blessed me, and most specifically how much he has blessed my children. And that is how I am defining him. He revealed that to me today. So I'm going to have to have a come to Jesus over that. That one's not going to be a little light thing. And she didn't talk about that. I am going to have to go home. I'm going to write at the top of a legal pad. Why do I not believe you? Why are you not enough? And then I'm just going to start writing. I'm going to ask the Spirit to guide me. My pen doesn't move by itself. Unless I've had too much Adderall. But generally it doesn't move by itself. And at the end of whatever I've written, I'm not going to stand up and say, God spoke to me. This is the new word. Because it is not. And is never to be elevated up above the scriptures. Never. That said, I still believe that God can speak to me. And that is one way that I access hearing him. And I will tell you, I believe he spoke to me. Because what often happens is I end up in a place radically different than I began in. That's generally how I know. But still, I do need to say to you that you will not hear me say, God told me. Because if it's not specifically in the word, I do not have the confidence to say that. But I will say, I believe as I have sought to hear him, I believe that this is what he has said. I have checked whether or not this is in line with the word. I have sought good counsel. But, make no mistake, it is work. Okay. What would be, you want my job right now, what would be your best advice of living with or dealing with an addict? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, call Gil. <laughs> That would be my advice. Um, number one, recognize you are an addict. Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I do. What I don't do. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Sorry. It wore off. <laughs> wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body of death that is an addict what he's saying is I'm doing what I don't want to do and I can't stop doing it I need rescue that's an addict I'm an addict I'm addicted to making life work apart from Jesus and that is the mark of the fall so in dealing with an addict, number one, you must recognize you are one. I am addicted to sin. I hate it 
and I go back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. And if Jesus doesn't rescue me, I am sunk. So take out the word sin and replace it with the word cocaine. Take out the word cocaine, replace it with the word shopping. Replace it with the word controlling. Idle Addiction was written because I wanted to start a 12-step group in my church. And when I said that to one of the church leaders, she said, Oh, I think that would be a great outreach. And then I thought, I guess we're not ready. (laughs) Because until our body of Christ, until we admit our own addiction and our own need of Christ, and apart from him, we're sunk until we can admit that, We have absolutely nothing to say to those who are addicted to substances. I don't understand the physicality of it. I don't. It is stronger. It is harder. It is worse. Because of that, um, it does necessitate, I believe, a professional that does understand those aspects of the physicality of addiction because that is real. That is real. But that said, whoever you are sitting in this room, if you have an addict at home, number one, recognize that you are one. Whenever I deal with spouses, because I do counsel spouses of addicts. I don't counsel addicts. Well, that's not really true because you always figure it out like halfway through meeting with them for three months. Oh, shoot. (laughs) And then what are you going to do, right? But... Actually, that's not true. I ask those things relatively quick up front. But I do do a lot of work with spouses. Um, and the number one thing I have them do is to read um, an excellent book called Surfing for God. Um, it's written by Michael John Cusick or John Michael Cusick. I can't remember how he says it. And Surfing for God is about addiction to pornography. But... It's about addiction. It's, pro- it's the best book on addiction I've ever read, um, especially the parts where he talks about the redemption and who you really are in Christ. Um, that's, that's, it's a short book. Skip the segments that specifically talk about the physicality of porn addiction, but everything else in that book is 100% applicable to every woman seated here. So... That book helps people get into the boat of the addict. And that's also why I wrote Idle Addiction. was because I recognized that I was an addict. And I went to 12-step groups. And when it got around to me, you know, she'd say, you know, I'm a recovering codependent. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I can't shut up. What? <laughs> you know, I didn't fit. I didn't fit. I can't stop controlling everybody. Um and I don't know how to shut my mouth, but I didn't fit in those groups, and it really, really frustrated me because I love 12-step. I love the 12 steps. The first three steps of the gospel, uh, of the 12, are the gospel. And so I love the 12 steps, but there wasn't any group for me to fit in. So that's why I wrote it. So that's what you do with an addict. Got it? And again, I think, I think what, Gil has cards around here. Um... (laughs) 
what might be a kid-friendly or teen-friendly summary of Crazy Train? Um, actually, that's fairly easy. Um, I have done the four questions. I do the four questions. I did the four questions with my kids. Um, this is the thing that's really important is, no, don't ever tell your child, well, that's not true. Everybody hates me. Oh, honey, no, that's not true. Yes, it is. According to them, yes, it is. So I don't try to do any convincing. So I remember when I got that question, I said, so what is it that you're thinking there? No one likes me in my class. Okay. Okay. Don't counter it. Is that provable? Like, like if you were in court, could you prove that? Like 100% of the time, can you prove that? And she said, well, about 99%. I said, okay. Okay. But not 100. Well, no. Okay. Because, see, I'm not going to argue over that. There's no reason to argue. Because the most important thing is the next one. Well, whenever you think that, nobody likes me, how do you feel? Really bad. Horrible. Insecure. Shut down. Oh, yeah, I know. I hate that. Oh, hate that. Oh. As, and when you feel that way, what do you tend to do? Like, hang back? And what happens when you do that? Self-fulfilling prophecy. See? Now, I'm not telling you that the girls don't like you. I'm not telling you that because it, I don't know. But neither do you. So even if you're right 99% of the time and not 100, look what that's doing to you. Whenever you play the tape in your mind, whenever you hear, no one here likes me, how do you feel? Doesn't it feel like a pair of too tight jeans? That's the analogy I always use. I'm sorry, skinny girls, if you don't get it. But <laughs> think like that. It just feels like, ooh, you can hardly breathe. Doesn't that feel gross? Try this one on. I don't know how these girls think about me. You don't even have to. You could stop it right there. What if you just said that to yourself? How does that feel compared to no one here likes me? I don't know how they feel about me. Well, it doesn't make me happy. I know, but doesn't it feel kind of like the top of the jeans just got unbuttoned? <laughs> Is that about a 2 to 5% improvement there? That's all. You just don't go into the vortex. That's all. That's all. Because, honey, I'm not telling you you're wrong. Because the truth is, is I don't know. You could be right. But I'll tell you this. You can't prove it. And it's making you miserable. So you might want to stop thinking it. Just saying. That's just the way I talk to my kids, too. I just want you to know that. I just talk to my kids like that all the time. I just say, just saying. <laughs> my son, one time... This is what counselors say to their children. I said, when he was being typical and not listening, I said, do you know that people pay me for what I say? And he said, and he wasn't being, he, he wasn't even trying to be smart aleck. He just said, I know, and I can't understand why would they do that. Okay, I think I already answered that. Well, if you don't start asking questions, I will have to close us in song. <laughs> All right. Was there something that I didn't answer? What does that say? Oh, where is it? Oh, where is it?
Okay. How do you live in the tension between the unhealthy detachment scenario and the corralling scenario? Corralling. Because I talked about unhealthy detachment. Because if I have a desire, if I have a picture, and the picture isn't coming true, what are my fleshly reactions? Number one, say, it's not ever going to happen. And so I cut myself off from that desire. And I start using kind of cynical comments. Yeah, like that'll ever happen. Or I had somebody tell me today, um, I cannot stand my mother. Her choices just absolutely disgust me. Um, what she was doing there was practicing unhealthy detachment. She was trying to tell herself she couldn't stand her mother and pushing away from her mother because she couldn't stand the fact that her mother is in an abusive situation and is doing nothing about it. And there's help and her mother won't get it. And it's driving the daughter crazy. You get that? Yes. So how was she handling the pain of that through unhealthy detachment? I'm just not going to have anything to do with this. This just disgusts me. If she's not going to get help, forget it. To which I said to her, she is a believer, and I said, well, that's, see, and unfortunately, that's not true. She said, oh, yes, it is. I can't stand her. I'm telling you, I can't stand her. I said, no. What is it that really hurts with your mom? What really hurts? Isn't what really hurts the fact that you see what she could be, but she's not, and she's not availing herself to what she could be, and you can't stand to see a waste like that? Isn't that what's driving you crazy? Yes. Isn't that then because you have a very good longing a very good desire that your mother would be in a healthy relationship? Yes. In my core, because I am a redeemed child of God, according to Ezekiel 36:26, I now have the spirit, the heart of Christ is now in me. Now outside of me is all kinds of flesh wrapped around that stuff. But in my core, I want a good thing for my mom. And I said, that's what you need to connect back into. Stop saying of yourself, I just can't stand her. I'm disgusted. But you see, if she begins to say, it's that it hurts too bad, then it's going to hurt really bad. Right? That's why she's pulling away. And to which I said, that reminds me of what Jesus must imagine being Jesus and like you might think that you've got a pretty good marriage but from Jesus's perspective you see he remembers the garden because he was there and so when he looks at your marriage that you think is just great imagine what Jesus thinks 
Oh, if you only knew what it was supposed to be. If you could have been there. Can you imagine knowing the potential and having to live this side of it being Jesus? And so I said to her, so you see what's happening in you right now is because Jesus is in your heart. You are experiencing that very thing on a very small scale. I see what could be. I see what is. And it is breaking my heart. But she is taking care of her pain by herself, by distancing herself so it won't feel so bad. And telling herself that she doesn't care. Would not then the path, is this not sharing in the sufferings of Christ? When we see what is and we long for what could be, is that not sharing in the suffering of Christ and living in this side of heaven in a broken world? It hurts. But if you will identify, it hurts for good reason, just like it hurt Jesus. It draws me to Jesus. And it allows me not to cauterize my heart in contempt because he didn't. He didn't say when he looks at me on my best day, which is so far from what I'm called to be and what he sees. He never looks at me with contempt. And I share in the sufferings of Christ every time I am allowing myself to hurt, but not corral, which is the second. That's the second part. When I don't get my picture, number one, I detach. That's what I just spoke of. Or number two, I corral, which is work, 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 work to get everybody in my picture, get everybody in my picture, which again... Going back to how not to corral is to go back to, okay, nothing in my picture is my responsibility because every single thing in your picture is people or circumstances. That's what's in your picture, every single thing in your picture. So there's nothing in your picture that's your responsibility, nothing. Everything necessitates the cooperation of people or circumstances. Therefore, in order to keep from corralling, which is driven by a heart of unbelief as a daughter, you say, what's my role here? What's my role? And I have to say, come on now. Y'all know what the y'all know when you're corralling. Come on now. I, you know, people are all, well, I don't know. Oh, come on. Yes, you do. You can feel it in your stomach. You know when you are corralling. And if you really don't know, ask him. Am I corralling right now? But what you really need to ask yourself is, Am I believing right now? Okay, then what am I supposed to do? And I know that it's not quite as simple as what I'm saying, but I really do believe that if you really truly are confused, which people are rarely as confused as they say they are, most of the time people say they're confused when really what they mean to say is it's really hard. I know what the truth is. It's just really hard. And so I say I'm confused instead, and I pay a lot of money to a counselor to figure it out. Who is sassy enough to say, really? Okay? You get sassy if you have a waiting list. Just now 
we watch the video, the shame attachment is harder to identify with. I don't know. Maybe oh, it's probably just me. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> and the pecking and all that, but the shame attachment seems like, and you touched on boundaries and, and you know, there's so many, um, I don't know, I just can't quite get a handle on it. Let me just pragmatically, um, when I noted that I was corralling, um, I didn't really think it had anything to do with shame. I honestly think this is the truth, that I had a better idea. And generally, that's really what I believe. I really think, but I'm right. I mean, (laughs) I wouldn't be corralling you if I weren't right. But again, let's go back to people pay me for this, which is probably why I'm a counselor too, right? Because I'm completely convinced. Okay. Oh, boy, that's dangerous. Um, when I when I am condemning myself, I'm not curious of myself. Condemnation shuts down curiosity. And I do the same thing to others when what they're doing is wrong. It is just plain wrong. I have zero curiosity about what's really going on. And generally what's going on is not what it appears to be. And so all I can say is when I notice myself that I cannot stop, as I had, I, I did recently when I, I noticed something, I was having a reaction to a person that was so strong. It was just, it was abnormally strong. I could not figure out what it was. And I would have never told you it had anything to do with shame. And I think I talked about this, didn't I? Yes, I did. I had to come to Jesus and I said, why is this person driving me so crazy and I just began to write and I realized that way down at the core of it was that I've done it two times on two different things when it came out to be shame one was because it was my kid and I thought at the core was what kind of a mother lets their kid do this I had no idea I was living out of that no idea I had to stop and pray it through and the spirit exposed that to me. I had no idea that was in there because I would have told you I'm not one of those self-righteous mothers because I'm not good enough at it to be self-righteous. I would be self-righteous if I was good at it, but I'm just not good enough. And then the second t- thing was when someone criticized me unhel- unfairly and it just and I was reading um, out of that girl's book something about forgiveness. And I read it and do you ever have these thoughts? I read it and I said, I'm not forgiving her. Whoa, where did that come from? I mean, it was just this, uh-uh. It was just like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Ah, uh, it's time for a come to Jesus. So I wrote at the top of the, what is going on here? At the core of it. What she had accused me of is something that I had been accused of in the past. Had really, really, really given myself to trying to change. And I hadn't done it that one dadgum time. But she totally tapped in to a real wound of mine of stuff from the past, which now I'm talking totally like a counselor. Uh, we can sit around and green, drink, drink uh, green tea later too, but all I knew was is that my extreme anger at her had something to do with she had threatened me somehow, and that's always coming from some kind of a, sh- a shame that I, I needed to cover up. And I covered up, I, I have covered up my shame quite well, and so it takes a lot of work for me to get at it. And then he revealed it, this big, huge, gaping wound, to which I said, well, what are you going to do about that? 
because I don't have any clue what to do about that. And I got to go to the office to tell people what to do with themselves. <laughs> so, you know what? Again, that's when I go back to that healing of my shame is not my responsibility. That is a supernatural work of the spirit. But I have a role in it. I have a role in it. I need to be in the scriptures to identify who I am. I need to be praying through that. I need to be in active community. I need to be in worship to remember who I am. I have a role. But ultimately, the healing of that wound, I mean, it was big and ugly. And it feels really bad if that's supposed to be what you're good at. And you don't have a clue what to do with it when it's your own. But I don't have a clue what to do with it when it's anybody's. So, it's time to go. Would you close us a prayer? Sure. Please. Heavenly Father, you see us. Lunatics, addicts. And you love us. Jesus, even just right now in this moment, would you get that into our souls? That we really are loved. Would you free us from unbelief? We are daughters, but we live like orphans. Would you show us what would a daughter do? Would you magnify so that we can see it and hear it better? When we are acting like an orphan, would you show us this week? Would you whisper into our ear again? Would you remind us again who we are? Thank you for what you've done. Father, let our response be gratitude. That we would give ourselves to bringing you glory. Thank you, Jesus, for whatever you've done tonight. Thank you that it's not my job, and it's not the job of any woman seated here to get it. That every time that we avail ourselves to the word, something happens. We trust that that's happened tonight. Help us believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.